Let me read to you this narrative, and I will begin to describe the narrative, and then later I will have a few lessons for us to consider, some issues to consider, and then how do we respond to that. Let me read to you Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Follow along in your Bible and in your cell phone or other electronic uh, apparatus. Chapter 2 of Mark, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, uh, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let me begin with a narrative. Okay, Jesus was preaching in a house in the city of Capernaum. We don't know which house, but he was preaching there. But whenever Jesus went, he drew a big crowd. The place was so crowded that even the doorway was blocked. And people steal all over, spill all over to windows and wherever. And Jesus was preaching to them. Remember the lepers we preached last week? At the end of chapter 1, verses 40 to 50, when Jesus touched him and healed him and said, don't tell anyone, but just go to the priest and have the priest to authenticate that and to certify that you can go home and be reunited with your loved ones. Well, he did not obey that. He went out and tell many, many people. See, now, from now on, Jesus could not go to any place without drawing a big crowd. And the big crowd was coming, not because they want to hear Jesus preaching. They are coming because they are expecting a healing service. See, people have great needs. But Jesus knows that his main purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and receive the gospel. Because Jesus knows that. Just by performing miracles and healing services, then when we heal someone and cast out demon on someone, it will come back to them if the hearts are not changed. If they do not have a clean heart, the demon will come back and possess them again. If they do not change a lifestyle, if they do not come back to God, they may fall back to the same situation. And they will die someday. And they will not have eternal life with Jesus Christ until they change their hearts. So Jesus was focusing on preaching the kingdom of God. But in the middle of this preaching, some commotions happened on the roof. Apparently, four men brought a paralytic who wanted to be healed by Jesus. But their access was blocked by all these people, clouds. They were de- uh, their access was denied. 
and it was just overcrowded. But when people had faith, they were undeterred. They went up to the roof by the external stairway, which was a common way of uh, structure were being built in those days. And the roof was flat. And for common people, the roof usually were made of a mixture of, of leaves and, and reeds and branches and, and mud and just dry them and then paste them on top of the structure. That's the roof. And then they lower the paralytic before Jesus by opening that roof so that they can, uh, he can come to Jesus. And of course, in the middle of all this, the debris was everywhere and the preaching was interrupted, but Jesus did not seem to mind. In fact, he welcomed him. And upon seeing their faith, Jesus pronounced that his sins were forgiven. Now, it is a strange pronouncement. How many of you who are in the medical field, okay, medical doctors and dentists, having a patient coming to you and say, Doctor, I have this toothache. It's really painful. I have a lot of problems. I've been struggling with it. I'm fearful of all those needles and all this stuff. Come and help me. Please heal my toothache. Your sins are forgiven. What? You go to your doctor. Doctor, I have this discomfort here. It's been for a while. You know, I'm fearful of doctors. I don't want to come to your office now. I have to come now. Please help me. I don't know what's the problem now. I'm fearful. Please help me. Heal me. Your sins are forgiven. You don't do that, right? You come to be healed physically. You don't come to be to, you don't come to a priest. You don't come to a pastor. You come to a medical doctor, right? But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven because apparently, Jesus saw something that the paralytic may not admit, that his ailment was due to his sins. In fact, not just one sin, but a sinful life pattern. He used cruel sins, and he was brought about by that, a result of that. And that if he only healed the illness, the illness without forgiving the sins, it would just come back sooner or later. So Jesus come man raise some eyebrows, especially among the scribes. The scribes are scholars who interpret the Old Testament laws, and they copy the Bible, you know, uh, the scriptures uh, in the temple. And, and they basically teach people what is the proper way of interpreting the laws, what is the proper way of a behavior, expression of the faith. So when they heard that, they have a problem with Jesus' pronouncement in verse 6. The scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Mental, mental exercise. And verse 7 says, why does this man question, uh, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So first of all, they pose a challenge to Jesus. Why does this man speak like that? And secondly, they pass a judgment on Jesus. He is blaspheming. What is that? means you insult God. And then they gave him a rebuttal. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Meaning, you are not God. How could you claim that? That's blasphemy against God. You have offended God. Now let me ask you this question. Do they have the right theology that only God alone forgive sins? Is that the right theology? Yes, it is the right theology. God, only God can forgive sins. So what's the problem? So what is the issue? 
What is the problem? They fail to identify Jesus as the Son of God. They fail to identify Jesus as the Creator, through whom all things are created. That's a failure. Good theology, bad application. Good theology, bad identification. And Jesus knew exactly what was inside them. And to the shock of the scribes, Jesus surfaced what was inside of human. And Jesus countered the scribes by presenting them with a multiple choice. Now, which is easier? To forgive sins or to ask this paralytic to stand up and walk? Which is easier? Now, which is easier? To the scribes, both are hard. The scribes can't heal the paralytic. The scribes can't forgive sins. And they know that. It will be difficult for them either way. What about Jesus? Which way? This multiple choice, which way is easier for Jesus? Both are easy. Because Jesus has authority over all things. Including forgiveness of sins. Including over illnesses and weaknesses. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Jesus heals. So both are easy for Jesus. But for the sake of the scribes who struggle with this multiple choice question and say, you know what? Anybody can claim that I forgive your sins, right? You're okay. Go in peace. Forgiven. Forgiven. Go. You're okay. How do you verify that? How do you prove that? Okay. To a human being like scribe who can't read the mind of the people, who can't see what is happening in the mind, in the hearts of the people, they want to see something. So to a scribe, I want to see the paralytic walk again. That is a confirmation that you are the Son of God. So Jesus said, for the sake to prove to you that I am the Son of God, I am telling the paralytic to rise up, take out your bed, and walk and go home. And he did just that. As a proof that Jesus not only can heal that person, but Jesus can only also forgive sins. And of course, at the end of the uh, of the whole uh, whole narrative, the people were amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw anything like that." That's a narrative. You're familiar with that. But what are the issues? What are the issues that we are wrestling with? What are the issues that we are dealing with? What are the lessons that we're dealing with today? Four lessons. First of all, Jesus has authority over all things. Jesus has authority over all things. In chapter 1, the narrative moves very quickly from event to event, proves that Jesus has authority over Satan in his temptations. Jesus has authority over the demons when he casts out the demons. Jesus has authority over diseases. He healed those with fever, others with leprosy, and many, many others as described in chapter 1. And now we see Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. You know, kings and emperors can give royal pardon and amnesty to the guilty. That's what they can do. The court can hand down a guilty verdict or declare innocence based on the law of the land. That's what they can do. A human being, uh, we can offer forgiveness 
to someone who wronged us by the grace of God. Because people say forgiveness is divine, almost like only God can forgive. It's hard. But some can do that. They offer forgiveness to those who offended them. But only God alone can forgive sin. And King David knew that very specifically when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And when the prophet Nathan came to him in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12 and confronted him with the story that David was caught into the story and get so offended by the story, there were a lot of injustice in there. They said, that guy, he, he's guilty. And prophet Nathan said, you are the man. And what did David say? He said, I have sinned against Uriah. The husband of Bathsheba? No, he said, I have sinned against God. Remember Joseph? When he was bought as a slave by Potiphar, a, a palace, uh, uh, you know, some kind of a palace, uh, uh, a royal family, uh, uh, you know, someone who works in the, in the palace to serve Pharaoh, the king. And, and the wife tried to seduce him. Many, many times. In fact, in a few close encounter, Joseph told her in point blank and said, you know, don't do that to me. Your husband trusted me with everything. I don't want to violate that trust. Lest I sin against your husband, Potiphar? No. Lest I sin against God. King and emperor can give amnesty. The court can hand down guilty verdict or declare innocence. Human can offer forgiveness by the grace of God, but only God can forgive sins. And that's why in Psalm 51, in the confession of David's psalm, he cried out before God in verse 3 and 4, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, David knew specifically that when he sinned, he sinned against God. Why? Because he acknowledges that God is the creator. And God created you and me for the purpose to glorify him. And when we do not glorify God, we sin against the creator. And that's why you have Romans chapter 3, verse 23 that says, For all have sinned, everybody has sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. It's more than just going to the jail. That's the violation of the law of the land. But sin is to fall short of the glory of God. You can't meet the standard of God. God asked you to glorify Him. You didn't do that. That's a sin against the creator of your life and my life. And today, with that issues and with that lessons, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. Because Jesus offers forgiveness. 
and forgiveness is what we need to receive forgiveness and to be Jesus' disciples. And having received that, it is also our obligation to give forgiveness to others. And that's the hard part. To come before Jesus in confession in your privacy, it's much easier. But the consequence of being received by grace, undeserved, unmerited grace of God coming upon me, and Jesus say, forgive others as I have forgiven you. That's hard. But that's the meaning of forgiveness. And Jesus is asking her to do that. You know, Jesus has authority over all things, but there's one place that he has no authority yet in many of you. That's the heart. Jesus has authority over demons and over Satan and over diseases and all kinds of things and forgives sins, but he has no control on the hearts of the scribes who refuse to acknowledge him as the Son of God. And their hearts are stubborn. They are challenging Jesus' claim. Who are you to claim that you have the right to forgive sins? And for Christians, that is also an issue that we have to deal with on a daily basis. To surrender, to submit before God, before Jesus, who has authority over all things, including your heart and my heart. And let me remind you and myself that one time before, you know, one day in the past, we did that. We said, Jesus, I submit my heart to you. I receive you into my heart as my Savior, as my Lord. We did that. But it's a constant battle of surrender, right? Of submitting myself before the authority of God. Especially for us who live in this country. See, American Christianity really shows up much more than we are willing to acknowledge it. That sense of privacy is invading our faith, even with our relationship with God, almost like God, if he needs you, if he wants to talk to you, if he wants you, he has knock and say, excuse me, can I come in? Can I make an appointment to see you? Can I talk to you? And we expect that. Unconsciously, we don't do that. We don't, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. You know, we don't do those things. But that American culture invades into our Christianity, into our relationship with God, that we almost unconsciously like, hey, I have my boundary. People, you have no boundary before God. You have no boundary. You have no privacy before God. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. Unless you have a wrong theology. Unless you do not believe that God is everywhere and God knows all. And if He is, there is no privacy. Before you confess your sins, He knows. Your stubbornness, He knows. Your unwillingness to submit, He knows. Just like the stripes. Jesus knows the heart of man. But He is waiting. He gives you free will and asking you to submit to Him. And that is our struggle today. That we can claim that Jesus has authority. Amen. Hallelujah. 
but not my heart. Not my time schedule. Don't you touch my iPhone, Jesus. Don't you touch my iPhone. You have me to contend with, man. If you touch my iPhone, you'll be in big trouble, man. And I wonder, I'm surfacing some of the heart issues of people today. Authority for us who live in America is so hard to deal with. Surrender and submission is so difficult to learn and grow. But Jesus has authority over all things, including your heart and my heart. Second issue. We need to increase our faith in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus saw this five men, four carrying the stretcher, one lying down as a paralytic, can't move at all, Jesus saw that faith and he healed them. He healed him. You know, I read this Pastor Ray Stedman's uh, uh, exposition on this part of the passage here. And, and he gave something very, very tangible, useful, and so clear about what is faith. What is the manifestation of faith in these friends and five men coming to Jesus? He said, to show the faith that they have, and Jesus appreciate those faith, they did three things. One, they, they do the difficult. It was not easy. Secondly, they did the unorthodox. That's an abnormal entry. You know, the way they brought, uh, they brought the paralytic to Jesus. It was abnormal. It was not the usual way. It was unconventional. And thirdly, it was costly. It cost them something. It cost their time. It cost them energy. It cost them some money maybe to repair the roof. But faith takes you through all that. If you have faith, you are willing to do the difficult. You are willing to try the unorthodox. You are willing to go for the costly. It costs you something. But faith carries you. That is faith. If you are going to routine, you don't need faith. You just need faith for salvation, but not for your living. If you are just doing the conventional things, you know, the routine, the usual things, you don't need to really claim on Jesus' faith so much. But knowing Jesus as the Son of God, knowing Jesus' sovereignty, you know, he wants to see a faith that will attempt the difficult, that will attempt the unorthodox, that will attempt the costly. And you know, that's so much relevant to where we are today, because to be a vibrant church, we need to increase our faith in Jesus Christ. And we need faith to build and expand our building, which is coming to uh, very soon now. We're coming to the last hurdle. And once we clear that, we're ready to build. It takes faith. It takes faith to give generously to support that building program so that the, the Mandarin service can also come to a, a mat to worship instead of just classrooms open up as a temporary measure so that we can continue to use a facility to serve this community and lift up the name of Jesus and bring people before his presence and to be disciples of Jesus Christ so that we can really fulfill that great commission that he has given the church. Make disciples, not just L.A., but of all nations. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to go out courageously to attempt 
things that only by faith in God and prayer alone can be achieved. That's faith. You know, as a middle-class church, we exercise a lot of discernment, wisdom, utilize our professional skills, but maybe we have not really grown in our faith in Jesus Christ. To plan another church after Cross Life become independent in October last year, just even thinking about that takes faith to go out. To depart from something familiar. To start all over again, it takes a lot of faith. We need to increase our faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus appreciates the faith of these five men as they come to Jesus. Thirdly, third issues and third lessons. Forgiveness of sins and healing. There is a relationship between forgiveness of sins, sins and healing. Emotions and spiritual conditions affects the body. It's a well-documented process. Stress of life affects you in many, many ways. It weakens your defense mechanism. It brings in a lot of physical discomfort and, and all that thing. Anger, anger, prolonged anger affects you physically. It shows. It shows in some rashes, it shows in other ways, it shows in your hyperpressure, uh, it shows with your stomach issues and, and all areas. In fact, guilt and shame, prolonged guilt and shame that we, we are, uh, find it difficult to shade off affects you. Worriness, fear. A lot of people are, working, are living in fear nowadays. Fear is paralyzing in many, many of our lives. It affects you physically. Hatred, hatred, prolonged hatred. Hatred you carry in your heart for years. You can't forgive. It affects you physically. It affects your heart, affects your lung, affects your mind, affects all those things. It's, it's well documented to see the emotions and spiritual conditions uh, affecting each other. But let me remind you again that not all sicknesses, not all diseases are the result of sin. But some are. Maybe a portion of it in terms of the reason of contributing to this ailment could be from sin. Or sinful thoughts and sinful emotions and sinful behaviors. And the burden of sins caused this paralytic to be paralyzed under bondage. So this spiritual element is affecting his physical condition. My question is, are there conditions in your heart, in your life, that just never gets better unless you confess your sins to Jesus? Now again, you need to see a doctor when you are not well. But are there some conditions in your heart that was brought to you physically, weakening you as a result of sinful emotions and sinful nature within you? If that's the case, then naturally we want to come before Jesus because Jesus forgives sins and he healed the paralytic. Number four. The fourth issue that we want to talk about today is be a stretcher Bearer. You know, in the 80s and 90s, there was a, a, a pastor who started a ministry called the Stretcher Barrier. Based on this passage, 
that the primary needs of the paralytic is to be healed, is to have the sins forgiven. But you can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can do that except Jesus. Jesus forgives sins and he heals the paralytic, right? But what can we do? Well, you and I can be a stretcher barrier. We can bring the paralytic to the source of healing, to the source of forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus Christ. That we can do. We may not be able to resolve the primary issues of an individual or a situation, but we can help to do the secondary by pointing them to the source of light, pointing them to the source of life as Jesus Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the way, and, and the life. No one comes to the Father but to me. I'm the light of the world. We can point them to Jesus. Be a stretcher bearer. I don't know how many of you uh, uh, know that at the back of our church, Brea Canyon, Cutoff Road, if you go out from there, go home and, you know, or go to 168 and go to Noodle House and places like that after worship. Uh, if you go out that back door and start walking toward that direction, you will always encounter a homeless woman, right? How many of you know that? Yeah. I've been here for three and a half years. I've seen her almost every day. If I ever take that route. And, and people told me, you know, she's been there forever. Maybe more than five, six, seven, eight, nine years. And when I pass her, you know, she's always talking to herself over the cell phone. And I wonder whether over the other side of the cell phone, there's someone talking to her. But she's just like animated, you know, with a lot of hand gestures and talking all the time. Okay. And then she has this shopping cart with this plastic bags and with all these things and typically a homeless person. Uh, sometimes I see her at the McDonald's, you know, eating something and, and it, it seems that she's able to, to live, survive. And one day I was talking to our sister Katie our children director, and said, you know what? What can we do as a church for her? I've seen her many, many times. And I wonder, as a church of Jesus Christ, she lived right behind the church for all these years. What can we do as a church? What does she need that we can provide as a church? We are middle-class church. We have plenty, plenty of stuff that we can give and share, right? So our sister Katie, you know, she's very uh, creative and very bold as well. So one day, the pastors, we usually have a monthly pastor's luncheon that we fellowship and, you know, grow and fellowship together and grow together. And sometimes we walk through that back door, you know, Brea Canyon Road and go to Noodle House, uh, Pokinometry and places like that to eat. And that day, knowing that we will pass through that back door and sister Katie prepare a bag with drinking water, some cookies and some food in the back, and then we walk and trying to connect with her. As she approaches this homeless woman, okay, and say, hello, she's like, go away, go away, go away, go away. And then Katie's like, uh, just give you, no, no, go away, go away, go away. So we, kept on walking to the restaurant, have our lunch. Coming back, Katie made a second try. I was walking with her. And before we can even reach her, seeing that Katie and myself coming to her, she said, go away, I don't need you, go away, don't talk to me, go away. And it really puzzled me because I know she has needs, right? Definitely. But why? 
Why she refused our help? What happened? And I begin to reflect on that. I mean, I have no answers. I really don't have answers. I was like, was our attitude bad? Were we giving her the attitude that, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, holier than thou, I'm better than you, so I'm giving you this extras I have? No. I think with all sincerity, our sister Katie was come, coming as a servant and served her. What happened? Maybe she has been refused too many times in the past. And she's just like, I don't want that anymore. Maybe she's been humiliated in the past. That maybe not verbally, but the way that we look at her, she was like, ah, I'm like a leper. Last week we talked about leper. I'm like a leper, a modern day leper. People avoid me. People avoid eye contact with me. People feel guilty when they pass me, but, you know, they press on and move away and then move on with their lives. I don't know. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or myself feel guilty. I'm trying to understand her. And I admit that I don't know. And I talked to someone who worked with homeless person. And he said, he, he told me, he said, it happens a lot, but if you really want to reach out to them, you just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until they open up. Because they've been burned, they've been hurt. It's very difficult for them to receive help sometimes. I was like, we have resources and we thought we can help. And they're like, I don't want you. I don't want your help. Well, yesterday, we have a Mandarin Chinese New Year celebration here as an outreach, and 240 people came. 60 were seekers, friends and spouses and relatives of our Mandarin members. So they were singing and all those things. And before it all started around 12 o'clock, uh, one of the young adults came to me and said, hey, Pastor, someone want to see you. Uh, uh, two homeless person want to see you. So sure enough, I went out there and saw this couple. I don't know that relationship, a man and a woman, pushing a shopping cart, you know, and I went and said, how can I, how can I help you? And then he shook my hand and said, uh, don't worry, I'm not asking for food. See, I have this food in my, in my shopping cart. Yeah, sure, sure enough, there are cookies and all the boxes of food in the cart. He said, but I need some old clothing. This is all I have here. I need some old clothing. It's cold out there. Do you have some old clothing in your church? And I remember a few weeks ago, we have some old clothing out there hanging there. Those are the left behind and in the lost and found thing that some of you and young people left in the church. And then it was all hang out there for people to claim it and take it home. And I remember that. So together with Matthew and Charlene and we just open up this door and that door, that storage. It was not there. We went to Sunday school, nursery area, open up all the storages. It was not there. So so I text the secretary and say, where, where were the old clothing? All oh, they say after we, we left there for a few weeks, nobody claim it and we can't store it anymore. So we give it away to, of course, you know, homeless ministry or some welfare ministry to help other people. So it wasn't here. Oh, I was like, oh, we missed that. We missed that. So I said, I'm sorry we don't have that. I really want to give it to you, but a few weeks ago we have it, but now we give them away. 
I'm sorry, but do you care for some Chinese food? Okay, so we gave him two plates, and then watching them, you know, they were eating, talking among themselves. And towards the end, I went over there and said, are you okay? He said, oh, thank you. Thank you. You are a nice church. You guys are very nice to me. Thank you so much. And then they pushed the cart out the entrance in the front by fairway drive, and then they left. And I was like, what if we have a, a, a place where we collect old clothing, good ones, old clothing from our members? We have plenty, plenty, plenty. I, as a pastor's income, I have plenty of old clothing, plenty in good conditions. What if we have some ministry here where we can collect old clothing and with homeless, homelessness, homeless individual increasing in LA and the city can't even resolve that. It's much more complex than you think. Okay, don't be a messiah. We can't resolve this issue. They may not even want your help. You build houses, they may not even want to move in. The most comfortable lifestyle is to them living on the streets, even though it's not safe. It's just, you know, perplexing, but it's a complex issue. We can't solve the issue. Only Jesus can. But we can be the stretcher bearer. We can carry them for a certain distance. Like providing old clothing or something like that. Our church used to open up to homeless ministry for a few years. That's what I heard. And after a few years, the leaders left and all that. And we, we did not carry on because it was too hard. It was too hard. But maybe something like that. Be a stretcher bearer to those who are in need. And with that, be something that God is speaking to you that you can begin and say, to be a vibrant church, let's do something like that. Unorthodox. Costly. Difficult. But it is an expression of faith in God. It's a vibrant church. I don't know. I don't have the answer. But the four men did just that. They cannot heal the paralytic. They cannot forgive the sins of the paralytic. But together, they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus healed him. And Jesus forgave the sins. What would it look like for our church to be able to be a structure barrier for those in our midst and others who may need our attention? And today, I just want to affirm the central message of this narrative. That Jesus can forgive sin because he's the son of God. And it is under that authority that we operate, that we run our church, that we serve Jesus Christ. And there are three responses that you will have today. All of you, three responses. One, you can submit to the authority of Jesus and let him be your Lord. Are there areas in your life that you have not submitted to him? And secondly, you can ignore him and live a life without God. And that would be sad, very sad. And thirdly, you can be open to him and allow God to reveal himself to you as a process of getting to know God before you commit to him. You see, the church may fail 
We didn't do our job well. We can't solve all the problems. And sometimes, yes, we talk a lot. We didn't do a lot. And that's why people said church is hypocritical. And we, we confess. Sometimes we are like that. Church may offend you. And pastors may disappoint you. That we can't connect within some preachings. That we are not the type of leader you hope that we can be. That we can be everywhere. We can be by every sick bed size and in every hospital, in every surgery. We can't do that. But we do our best. The pastors may disappoint you. And we know that. But you know what? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's why we want to preach the gospel of Mark. We want you to come to Jesus. And if we offend you, if pastors will disappoint you, just pass us by. Pass by the church. Pass by the pastors. Pass by the Christians. Go straight to Jesus. Because Jesus will never disappoint you. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that some of us will respond by submitting to your authority. I pray that none of us will ignore you and live a sad life without God. And I pray that, Lord, some will be open to you and allow a process of journeying with the church and journeying with Jesus and with the small groups they are part of and come to the realizations that Jesus is the Son of God and He has the authority to forgive sins. And it is with that authority we submit ourselves under and ask God to show us the way how to be a vibrant church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.